Hey everyone, it's Stephen Schleicher from Major Spoilers. Thank you for downloading this uh, podcast. I bet you were not expecting a second Major Spoilers podcast to show up in your feed this week. Well, there's a reason for that. Um, we are having so much fun. You know, a couple of, I don't know, it was a month ago, a couple of months ago. Someone had said, oh, you know, originally when you guys did the Major Spoilers podcast, you uh, said you were only going to do it once a week. And in the last couple of years, we've been doing it twice a week and just cranking it out to where now we're over 500 episodes of the Major Spoilers podcast. And for those of you that have been fans of the Major Spoilers podcast for years, you know that I've talked about a lot of shows that we want to do. Uh, one of the shows we're kind of already doing right now called Dueling Reviews that Matthew Peterson and I, a Mighty King Cobra on Twitter, if you want to follow him, um, we do that every week where we can go in depth on a specific new issue that comes out in a week. The quote-unquote weekend edition show that we did was just us just kind of sitting around and chatting just about whatever came to our mind, but I was always disappointed with that kind of show, even though it was crazy and insane and and wonderful at the same time, and it was a lot of fun to do. The thing that was missing the most on those shows were were you, were you the listeners, and we want to, I want to, engage with you more, not just through Twitter, not just through emails, not through comments that you post on the website or in the forums, but through a way that you guys can call in. And you know that for years I've, I've wanted to do a show called Finally Friday. And occasionally on a Friday, uh, when uh, young Zach and I have some time, we've been trying to hop on Google Hangouts and record something and, and stream that live and try to get interactions with you guys. And I think as we get closer to our funding goat, we're going to be able to see more and more of these shows pop up. The other show that I've been really trying to work on, it's just so hard when you don't have a, a lot of free time. And I know everybody knows about free time and how little we all have. But one of the other shows that I've I've really wanted to work on is um, Conversations with Major Spoilers. And Conversations with Major Spoilers is where we can sit down or one of us can sit down or I can sit down and just have a chat with a creator or a group of people about something fascinating and the biggest thing is just the free time uh you know finding schedules between myself where i have the moment to call and record 45 minutes to an hour with people um getting their schedule aligned and so that becomes very difficult when you're working you know a real world job and, and many of our creators are not just working in the comic book industry themselves but they've also got other things that they that keep them occupied so it's always fun when i do get a chance to sit down and talk with people about what's going on in the industry from their perspective. So this week, uh, what I'm presenting to you is something that could could happen, could be made possible when we hit our funding goat. We're about 20% of the, or just over 20% of the way there. And um, here's a conversation with Chris Roberson and uh, Allison Baker of Monkey Brain Comics. We sat down this week, really late at night for me, kind of late for them. And I just had a conversation about what's going on with Monkey Brain Comics a year after they launched. So take a listen and see what you think. And if you want to hear more conversations like this, you know, let us know. Chris Roberson and Allison Baker, thank you so much for joining us this week. Happy to be here. You know, it was it was. Almost a year ago that we last chatted, and uh, exactly 100 episodes ago, and a year ago that you guys launched Monkey Brain Comics. Yep. 
and it has been an incredible year for you guys. We bought a house. <laughs> well, that's good. We sold a house and bought a house. Did you? We move, normally sold the house before. Well, did you of. move in the last year? Yeah. Did you no, move to we, Portland, we, or we had moved right before that? So oh, we, okay. uh, we arrived in Portland the beginning of June 2012. Wow. Um, but we spent the first nine months we were here in a tiny apartment, and finally moved into a house in February of this year. Wow. So that's got to be nice. It is nice. A year of accomplishments. Yes. Did you guys think that a year ago that this is where you would be sitting, having uh, a digital uh, distribution empire, Eisner award-winning uh, titles under your belt and all of those good things? Well, we haven't won anything yet. Oh, I mean nominated, sorry. <laughs> um, not that I'm not confident, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's kind of crazy. I, um, I thought it would take a lot longer for us to kind of uh, make a impact on the on the business and it seemed to have happened pretty quickly so why do you think that is we don't know (laughs) (laughs) well i mean you've got some great i mean great titles i mean edison rex is still doing great for me i love reading um amelia cole in the unknown world uh some of our uh, other reviewers are digging on uh, masks and mobsters you guys have got some good books but there's yeah. got to there's got to be I mean good books are great but there's got to be something else in getting that word out because I know that there are other small publishers indie uh, indie creators that are just not having the success that you guys have had. Well, I think I think that we were really fortunate. I hate to use the the term perfect storm because I didn't really care for that film. Right. Um, <laughs> but because uh, those guys those guys were uh, I don't talk about it. Don't I, I don't want to speak ill of Don't go there. Um, but like I think that when we launched um, in July of last year, almost a full year ago, it was at a moment where um, people were ready to talk about something in positive terms. Mm, yeah, um, I think a lot of what fed into it was there was so much um, negative news and criticism and depressing crap just from the business side of things to say Mm -hmm. nothing of, of creatively unsatisfying works coming out that, you know, we were launching with a spate of titles that were fairly unlike things that were currently available. I think that in any one of them would fit nicely in different publishing ecological niches in earlier years, but the market has kind of contracted in recent times. Mm -hmm. Um, but all of them were books that were passion projects for the creators involved. And you can see that on, on the digital page that maybe if this isn't for you, you can at least see that this is the book the creator wants to do. Right. And, um, I think all those things kind of ratcheted up together to make it a topic that people were eager to talk about. And it didn't hurt that the books themselves are really good. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I think we were just lucky in, the, in that respect. And I think that you, could, you can try to, you know, place as much press as you want um, different places. But I think if the if the bottom line is that if the books aren't aren't good, then you're not going to get anywhere with it. Um, especially if you're small like us. I mean, I think mm-hmm. the, the big two kind of have a have an advantage in that, like people will talk about them regardless um, of the quality. Well, uh, so to give some credit to you, though, Allison. 
you know, kind of we have good relationships with a lot of the publishers, some of the bigger ones, maybe not so much. Uh, but the one thing that I do notice is I can see a general trend of like dislike by the amount of press materials, information that publishers are sending our way. And you consistently week after week are sending out, hey, here's our new books, share our new books, talk about our new books. And you're constantly getting those messages out to sites and outlets that need to share your information and do share your information. And I think that helps do it as well. So I think a good PR branch is is really, really important. And I think that you have done an excellent job with that. I agree. Thank you. Yeah, I try to make, you know, I try to make those as like as fun as possible too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. I know you guys like just get inundated. Right. And some of them are just <laughs> template, you know, can you can tell that okay, right. here's the intro, paste in the <laughs> solicitation information, attachments send. And and so I'm kind of, you know, I'm kind of like, well, these guys like get stuff all the time. Like why bullshit them? Right, right, right. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I try to make it a little bit fun. And I think my like piece de resistance is when I was like, right after my spinal cord surgery, Mm -hmm. I was like on drugs and was like, (laughs) (laughs) was like in the press releases, like, and by the way, I'm on drugs. So if I made any mistakes, like I'm not. I think anybody working in comics has to be on some amount of drugs. Right, exactly. But I so, was literally like on like prescription narcotics. <laughs> oh, yeah, yes. Yeah. Let's make that clear. Um, I guess almost a year ago, too, Chris, you were still dealing with a Superman uh, controversy. I think that was about uh, a, a year ago, a year and a half ago. Yeah. Yeah, it was um, – that all kind of blew up in – the in April of last year. So right. it was a few months ahead of time. Right. In fact, that was one of the reasons why I was largely silent on the internet for about three months. Mm-hmm. Um, because having said my piece about my feelings concerning DC's business practices, um, I, I didn't want anybody to think that I had attempted to manufacture controversy to gain attention for this thing we already planned to do. Right. And so I basically went silent running on Twitter and Tumblr and everywhere for a, a good three months or so. The only things I discussed were I'm moving across country. I'm at this La Quinta in Lubbock, Texas <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. or whatever. I, I remember That's reading those. <laughs> I didn't express any opinions about anything for fear that uh, it might be misconstrued. Well, right before, you know, and here we are now and we're right in the middle of another Superman controversy, this time not involving you. Um, yes. But with the movie, and it looked like on Twitter that you've opted not to go see this. I, it's it's not so much it, – it's not even a conscious decision. It's that I find that I don't have any interest in seeing it based on what I've seen from trailers, my familiarity with the filmmaker's previous work, mm-hmm. and what I've heard from people that have seen it, both pro and con. It just doesn't seem like it would appeal to me. So, yeah, instead, I spent Father's Day introducing my daughter to the um, the Richard Donner, Ilya Alexander Salkind, oh, yeah. uh, Christopher Reeve, Superman the movie, which was fantastic. Did you do one and two? Did you watch the Donner cuts or did you watch the uh, she, theatrical release? We watched – well, and unfortunately, I thought we were watching the theatrical release. I realized that the DVD I would grabbed was the extended edition of oh, Superman right. the movie, mm-hmm. which is interesting as a historical artifact. But watching it for entertainment purposes for the first time, some of those scenes get a little draggy, the ones <laughs> yeah. that were added back in. Um, 
I then told my daughter that Superman 2 follows directly on this and those three people who were sent to the Phantom Zone that looks like a, a you know a Queen album cover <laughs> at the beginning come back in Superman 2. And she said, we'll watch that next Father's Day. So <laughs> Excellent. How old is she? She's nine. Oh, okay. My son is six and he was begging me to see Man of Steel. So we went to see it and he liked it enough. I mean, I thought it was an okay movie, uh, yeah. but he really liked it a lot. And I think that for, you know, generational you and I, and Allison, I don't know how uh, young you are, but I'm sure you're much younger than we are. We remember seeing uh, Superman when it originally came out, probably yeah. around the same age as your daughter is. And so yeah. I, I see that same thing happening with, uh, uh, with my son as well. I was, uh, so I was, I turned eight in 1978. Mm -hmm. Um, so about a year south of where my daughter is now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was just commenting to uh, Matt Sturgis the other day. He was like, oh, I've known Chris for 25 years. I'm like, yeah, I know my best friend for 25 years. We met the, uh, first day of school, uh, first day of college. He's like, yep, that's when I met Chris. And then I suddenly realized, oh my God, I'm old. Yep. <laughs> a freshman orientation, 1988. Yep. Exactly. I'm not. I'm not quite as old. <laughs> you're you're so, you're somewhat younger. I'm just a little bit younger. Yeah. Um. I, I just I remember super like I just remember like having very like like horrible feelings about Superman being mean in Superman three. Mm, yeah, <laughs> didn't yeah, yeah. like it at all. <laughs> yeah. Going back to Monkey Brain real quick. Last year when we were talking, you had said one of the reasons why you for monkey brain comics was that, so there was a way for you guys to share these uh, independent or these creators with their works in kind of a group format because mm -hmm. there really wasn't a method to get that information out. And you've done a really good job with that. We're a year later now and uh comiXology has their submit program. Mm -hmm. Has that affected how you guys do monkey brain or has that driven more creators to you? Not at all. I mean, actually, we've known about Submit for a long time. Mm -hmm. Actually, Submit has been in the works prior oh, for a couple to Monkey of years. Brain existing. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I'm really happy that they're doing Submit, and I think that it's a great opportunity for people. And I share as much information as I possibly can with them to help them promote it. Because what they're doing with Submit is very similar to what we're doing with Monkey Brain, and you cannot promote those books the same way that you promote uh, mainstream superhero books. Right. Um, which is what they've primarily been doing before they kind of kind of came on the submit. So um, it, it hasn't really changed anything for us. It's, it's nice that it's there because it just means there's just another outlet for people to go to to get their work out. And in terms of defining how we operate, you know, in relation to or contrast to submit, Personally, my feeling is anything that, that offers more avenues for creators to get their work out and more avenues for readers to find work is an absolute good mm -hmm. um, because it just increases the possibility that something fantastic might get in front of readers. And in terms of like Monkey Brain specifically, um, I look at our role with Monkey Brain less as a business and more in kind of a curatorial aspect. Like, mm -hmm. like these are things that I have seen and think that, that people might like. Mm -hmm. um, there have been things that, like, for whatever reason, um, whether how they were structured or how, how they were implemented, didn't make a good fit for us. And in those cases, I've, I've pointed people towards submit, saying, you know, the no door is closed to you. Um, this wouldn't work out with Monkey Brain. 
but submit is another way that you could basically get into the same the same platform. So um, if there's anything we can do to help you get through that process, let us know. Oh, cool. So. Well, that's good. I, I've got a uh, one of our uh, players on our Critical Hit podcast. Um, she goes through submit, and she's. I think it, it, I think it benefits, especially having someone like you guys that can go out and promote the product mm-hmm. uh, and let the creators create. Because you guys have that outlet, and you have those contacts, which submit. I mean, yes, I get a blast every week that says, "Hey, here are some new titles," but I don't think it's as effective as having one group or one organization promoting that book or books for me. Well, certainly. I mean, and, and there's, there's a risk of a certain signal noise mm-hmm. ratio issue, but you know, in just absolute terms compared to any previous formulation of a, 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 a team of new creators or a single creator getting their work out, whether it was through diamond or in the days of multiple distributors, uh, like Capital and Heroes World and people like that, um, there were the same sorts of challenges, but there was also an enormous outlay of cash that was required. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the benefit of something like Submit is, I mean, similar to our model, that the, the only real financial risk is the man hours involved in the creative end of things. Right. Um, so, yeah, there's, you know, we have the benefit, kind of a strength of numbers thing. And also with that curatorial aspect, um, I hate to say brand, but but people come to to realize if, if they like other monkey brain titles, they have a higher likelihood of liking a new monkey brain title. Right, right. Um, I, you you but, say brand is a bad thing. You make it sound like a bad thing. That's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. I, I just I get really itchy around marketing terms <laughs> and corporate speak. Yeah, I yeah. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good thing about me. Um, no, and in fact, like I was kind of shocked that the, the brand uh, had identification as early as it did. I mean, if you want to talk about in terms of, I mean, I thought it would be a year for me to build the brand. Oh, really? But you yeah. had, you had monkey brain books before this. Yeah. Yes, but I think that like. There's not a lot of people that are familiar. It's a whole, it's a very different audience. Mm-hmm. And they, they kind of cross over a little bit, but like that Venn diagram has like, it's, it's a very kind of separate audience that actually knows us as a book publisher. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I feel like we made a, a much bigger splash as a comics publisher. Um, and then kind of after the fact, we're like, oh, wait a minute, you know? I mean, I, I, there's so many times that I've heard like, oh, wait a minute, like I have this book that you, you know, it's a monkey brain book, and it's yeah, like, yeah. yeah, we've been doing this for a while. <laughs> how, how many books did you guys launch with last year? Was it five? We um, launched with five. We launched with five, and then Master Monsters followed almost immediately. Master Monsters and Wander followed almost immediately. Yeah. I think we're up to 26. Wow. What's the, what's the newest one that you guys have? Um, you know, it's hard for a We have we have new ones in the system that haven't come out yet. Yeah, so oh, it's okay. hard to have, like like antihero. Antihero well, antihero for, comes out next week. Okay. So, so Jay Faber's antihero Jay Faber Day comes out week. next week. Yeah, Excellent. Jay Faber Day because we're gonna have Denali number two and mm-hmm. antihero come out next week. So, um, yeah. I think Subtomic Party Girls is probably one of the latest titles we did. That's probably the newest one the newest that's already, one come, that's already out. come out. Okay. Um, but it gets gray because Antihero has been available for pre-order. So people know. There's a lot of stuff available for pre-order. But that's the only that's news. like the that, new, yeah. 
I, I did get a kick out of uh, Masks of the Red uh, Panda. I'm a big fan of the Dakota Ring Theater podcast. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I thought that was a good translation from the audio series into this into this comic. I thought it worked really well. And I thought that, that uh, it, I thought that this, the script was fantastic throughout. But if anything, I thought the art got stronger issue over issue. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. The um, the other thing that we talked about last year was what happens after after digital. Were you going to look mm -hmm. for outlets to get these uh, printed? And uh, Edison Rex just came out for Dark Horse or it's solicited through Dark Horse, correct? Uh, IDW, actually. Oh, IDW. Sorry. This week. This week. Uh, yesterday. Yesterday. Yeah. yesterday. Yeah. So. The other thing is I've noticed, don't you have some stuff through Dark Horse and Image and through various publishers? Mm -hmm. I think that's that's interesting to go yeah, through that so route. Can you explain why you're looking at a bunch of different publishers as opposed to just dealing with one publisher? Yeah, like that was actually the whole model to begin with. And I kind of um, didn't let that all out of the bag so much. I didn't focus on that when we first launched because it wasn't really, you know, pressing. But um, right. print was always a, a thing that we wanted to do. The thing is, is that we don't take print rights when we mm -hmm. do our contracts with the creators. We take digital rights. And um, so it's up to the creators to decide where they want to take their book for print. Or if, if they want to. Or if they want to take their book to print. Um, and so basically, um, you know, we've been talking to, you know, uh, different publishers about like what we were doing and stuff even before we launched. And so we have IDW, you know, doing... Edison Rex and Amelia Cole and Red, Red Light, Light Properties and I think I think have they announced they haven't announced the other one but um, you know there's a number of, of titles going to IDW um, and then of course you know some people want to take their books to Image because they have relationships with them and wanted to do their books through them so so Josh has his book at Image and and then Dark Horse kind of came <laughs> into the mix as well uh, with Bandette and some other books so. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think Bandette's the only one that's been announced, but, uh, you know, I think that, I think it's almost healthier to spread it around a little bit. Oh, sure. Oh, sure. You know? Yeah, and yeah, then yeah. basically yeah. the creators actually get the better, are able to negotiate a better deal for themselves because they can go to anybody they want to. Because all those deals are between the publisher and the creator. We're, right. we're not right. part of it. Though we're, we're helping out. Right, because right. your names, names the, the monkey brain name shows up at least in the, some yeah. of the solicitations that I've seen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because I think that the publishers realize that there is, there's brain recognition yeah, with monkey brain. There's some cachet mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. um, and I've helped with the publicity too, with that as well. I mean, like, especially with the IDW books when we first announced it to place the, the article in Wired. So, mm -hmm. you know, like it's, it's, it, it's, I think it's a very symbiotic relationship you know, despite the fact that like we make absolutely no money right. on the publishing of the, the print publishing, but I think that that all feeds into each other, like the digital and the print, mm -hmm. um, which is also why I went to Comics Pro and you have to explain what Comics Pro is. Oh, which is like a an association of retailers and like was a sponsor and had a table. And I'm I'm basically talking to retailers all day saying. Yeah, I have a digital publisher, and I like I have no benefit from this at all monetarily. But um, these books are all coming out, you know, soon, so you should order them. <laughs> because, you know, the one thing that we've been really careful to to avoid is the impression that we are in any way anti-print mm -hmm. or anti-direct anti market, and that if anything, we saw. Uh, a digital imprint as being kind of additive, mm -hmm. um, and that. 
the goal from the beginning was to also funnel that back into print in some way. Um, yeah. But honestly, these books uh, wouldn't have existed if we didn't create a space for them. Um, right, right, right. They wouldn't have been bought by a print publisher to begin with. So the reality is, is that we are creating an audience organically through digital distribution for them to then take, you know, that material and turn that into print without any additional, you know, much additional work and create multiple monetary streams for the creators. Well, there has to be some really good success in what you're selling digitally because otherwise you said the publishers would have never looked at these books. And what's happening is you're selling digitally. They're recognized of what's going on. And so are they approaching the creators or are the creators going to them and saying, are you interested in my book now? It's a, it, it goes both ways. I think that in, in the vast majority of cases, it's been the publishers approaching the creators. Yeah. Interesting. Um, I think that it's a, it's a kind of a two way street. It's kind of like, it just depends on the project. And a lot of it depends on prior relationships and mm -hmm. conversations. That exactly. come about. I mean, I think that's how massive monsters ended up at Shadowline image is that Joshua Williamson had a relationship with Jim Valentino mm. and it just kind of developed naturally out of that. What is your if you if you guys want to or not want to? What's your best selling best. title that you guys have? Um, well, it's, it's kind of hard to say because like um, the way that it works, it's not doesn't work like on like the way that you look at the numbers from a from a like a, a like an issue by issue basis or month by month or month by month because it's right. all accumulative because right. right. they keep right. selling. So the way that I track and then like it depends on how many issues you have. Already, because with, with with a print book, you could say in X month this title sold the best. Right. right. But with the digital stuff, because things are coming out on weird schedules and, and sometimes irregularly, um, you could say what sells the, the sells the best cumulatively, mm -hmm. which are some of the serialized books. Um, you could also say what sells the best per issue. Like a, October Girl sells really well per issue. Yes, but there's only two issues of it. So yeah. Far, so. so October Girl. Having produced two issues, Matthew Dow Smith does really well for those two issues. Um, you know, High Crimes but, does really well. I mean, I, we yeah. just we just launched Theremin, which sold very well. Oh yeah, I like, oh yeah, I like that. One. I mean, I only have April numbers, so like it sold very well in its first month. So, you know, obviously, Bandette sells very well. Edison Rex sells very very well. Masking Monster. Masking Monster. I mean, like you know, it's kind of uh, it's just it's kind of hard to like even gauge because it's it's. It's not a lot of money all at once. It's a it's it's a little bit of money all the time. Right, right. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. podcasting is kind of the same way because we can have an episode that's been out for eight years, and we can go back and look and say, well, this thing has half a million downloads, mm -hmm. and then we can and go we, forward and look at something that was just released this week and say, well, this only has ten thousand downloads. Somewhere between over the you know we know what an average is between everything. And so and when so we go out and do advertising, yeah. it kind of works that same way. We estimate yeah. we'll have an average of this many downloads yeah. per episode. Yeah, it's it's a completely different structure from like the direct market. Yeah, uh, because that issue is always for those issues are always for sale. Mm -hmm. Like they're always on the shelf. Mm -hmm. So what happens is that when the new issue goes up, all of the previous issues spike up as well. And I, we would have to go and actually do the analysis, but I would hazard to guess that in virtually every month of our operation, virtually everything that we have published to date has sold. 
Yes. Even in small quantities. Oh, that's great. Oh, that's great. In any given month. Yes. Everything sells. Everything that's been on offer up to that point, someone has purchased yeah. already. All the issues. Yeah. Like every single issue. Let's just well, we'll randomly try. pick a book. Um, uh, Edison Rex, Edison. for example. Would it make would the top 300 of the uh, Diamond releases, the latest issue, would it make in the top 300? Uh, no, because, not, no. The direct mar- because the because the digital market is still 20% of the market. Okay. Okay. So you have to look at it in terms of it's still a growth market. It's not in anywhere comparison to what you look at with the print side. Um, so if you if you consider that it's only totaling 20% of the market and you add 80%, yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> But because it's only twenty percent, then no. Yeah. Right. No, no. I, I mean, it's, I think some of them have would probably verge near the bottom of that list. Probably. Okay. Okay. Um, I mean, it's it's getting respectable. Depending on how well the things are selling that month. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think that the, the yardstick that we tend to I ha- use. I have noticed that things are actually starting to spike up as far as like first issue sales out of the gate, which well, is he- interesting. I think the the only the only real yardstick that we can use because we don't know what other people are selling, right? Right. Yeah. But we can look at how things are ranked because Comixology does a running day by day, like what are the top selling? Mm-hmm. And what's been very gratifying is that broken down into the ninety nine cent offerings, that anytime there's a new Monkey Brain title coming out, uh, it, it for at least the first week or two mm-hmm. sits solidly in the top selling 99 cent titles on Comixology. Wow. That's really good. And that's even considering that they have those 99 cent Mondays going on. Yeah. Yeah. And well, yeah. So all the sales and then all the, you know, DC digital stuff that's going on, that's 99 cents. You know, it's like always like DC and then us, Wow. you know, like sitting in like the, yeah. It's, so it's, it's, it's TV it's, show tie in video game video tie game in and monkey brain. Yeah. And so it's kind of fun to like, look at those covers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because, yeah. like, it's like so different <laughs> from like, you know, injustice. Right, right. <laughs> and then you have like Kinski, like sitting next to it, you know, yeah. it's kind of great. <laughs> the, uh, you had mentioned again last year that you were going out and being very selective of who you bring into monkey brains. Is that still what you're working on? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we just, I mean, Chris and I both have other jobs mm-hmm. that are extremely time consuming. And so, uh, you know, all of our free time is pretty much spent doing monkey brain. <laughs> so, um, you know, so we we're still like in a closed submissions situation. Uh, but also like we should point out that like, so our, the percentage that monkey brain takes as publisher is very small, right. um, financially. So that like it's not any kind of real money making proposition for us. We get a very yeah, small amount of money. I didn't build it to make money. I didn't build the business model for us to make money. I built it so that we could like actually like have other people make money. So, but that but that's my point. So like we get a small amount of money back for our trouble, mm-hmm. but by and large, we're doing it. It's a passion project. We're doing it because we 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 feel strongly about the books. We like the creators. We want to get them in front of people. And so really the, you know, the, the two criteria are, do we like, do we want to be associated with and work with these people? And do we feel strongly about this project and want to support it? Right. Because the, ultimately we're not going to be making much money off of it. Sure. But isn't that kind of the, I mean, the, the things that we see a lot of success in, and I guess people can measure success in a lot of different ways, but you're in this to 
because it's a passion project. You you said yourself you're not in this for money, and it seems like the people that don't make money the focus on stuff tend to have a lot of success and don't anger fans, don't anger people as easily. Does that make sense? Isn't that interesting? I mean, you can look at some people <laughs> and they just do all these things and people are like, what are you doing? You're just trying to grab our money and steal our money. And it is a business thing. But, well, you know, the projects that you guys have been working on, uh, and Chris, I want to talk about some of your other projects here shortly, but, um, you know, the things that come out of Monkey Brain are a result of just you guys are passionate about promoting these titles and these creators. Yep. Well, I think, you know, I are only somebody asked us in an email interview recently, like what our ethos was. And I said, make good comics. That's pretty much it. Um, and so I guess it's a question of expectations and where your, what your yardstick is, because if all we're going into it to do is to uh, encourage and facilitate the creation of good comics and put them in front of people, once those comics are made and are in front of people, we've succeeded. Yeah. Right. Um, so we'll keep doing it so long as we keep making good comics, and anything beyond that is this is gravy extra. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I I think that um, I I think you're right about that. I think that the reason that we have had so much goodwill and good press like put towards us is because I think people like like it. They're kind of glad that we exist, <laughs> you know, that like somebody would actually kind of step up to the plate and, and do something like we did. And, and honestly, like we were waiting for somebody else to do it for a while and then nobody was doing it. And so we we're like, oh, well, I guess, I guess we have to do it because nobody else is doing it. What, what then is the plan for the year going forward? I mean, are you, you said you were, you hadn't expected to be in the place that you're at now with monkey brain. Are you going to more growth you have a growth strategy or is it let's maintain or what are you looking forward to in year two more good comics we'll keep we'll keep doing the ones we're doing and we've already got a lot of books that are coming out and and uh i mean we've when we started out like you know we just kind of went to people we knew and we're like hey we're doing this thing and you want to do something you know let me know and so in the, in, in the interim like what has happened is like a lot of people we went to like were really busy with other projects or Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to do something, and and but now they do, and so there, those things are coming to us as well. So some of the people that we invited in January of yeah. 2012 are now showing up. Okay, I'm ready to go. Excellent. I've got my project ready. Um, and then there's other other things that we've picked up along the way. We have a huge slate of new things that are going to start coming out over the course of the summer. I have a great panel in San Diego where we're gonna talk about all kinds of new stuff so you know so yeah more more of this is what we're doing. <laughs> well that's always good it says here on the on the uh site it says right. summer 2012 pixels summer 2013 print so i'm going to bet that there's more more titles coming out from the print print side oh yeah i mean like it's, and and digital as well and digital i mean like mm-hmm. it's it's kind of just like a kind of become this like little machine thing and it's like so where are they gonna land you know like i want to i want to have monkey brain books like everywhere you know that'd be awesome to, like have like everybody publishing monkey brain books what know? are you guys are doing you? to market so, beyond just no. the web no, and, and the and, and the print and publishers print. that are out there what other marketing what are strategies are you doing we're working on it. <laughs> a lot of that, a lot of that's on a case by case basis, and it's something that we talk about with 
the creators of the individual projects. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think that in large part, you know, the, the, the audience that we have is existing direct market readers and recently lapsed direct market readers. Um, people who maybe used to read comics but don't as much anymore and then for one reason or another they discover digital stuff and they're kind of drawn back into it. Um, the audience beyond that, um, I think it's not a single serve solution. It's a question of finding the people that are going to like whatever that thing might be. Um, and I'm working towards placing stuff at, on more main, in more mainstream venues. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that, that is something that has to be a special circumstance for that to get placed. So it's just, it's, it's a different, it's kind of, it's just a different thing altogether. So, but you deal with it on a title by title or creator by creator basis. Yes, yes I do. And in fact, like I, 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 I'm very careful not to go to the same venue too often because I, I kind of like to spread things around and, and not be a complete nuisance. <laughs> Have you guys been going to a lot of conventions just representing the monkey brain comics? Uh, not uh, really. Well, I mean, we did like, we did like four panels in Emerald city Yeah. and, um, we did people's con. Yeah. And then, um, I had spinal surgery. <laughs> so, uh, so we'll do San Diego. Um, and we'll see, you know, what happens after that. I, it, it's, it's, uh, you know, like there's really no benefit for us exhibiting. And honestly, you know, when we did monkey brain books, we used to exhibit it in San Diego and that's just a beating and we'll never do that again. Right, so, right, right. um, you know, I, you know, I, I try to, I try to, you know, I don't know that like our presence, uh, at conventions necessarily is, is that huge of a piece of marketing plan, but, um, uh, you know, I definitely, you know, I think I'm on two panels in San Diego. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah. So. No, I mean, that's I mean, that's really great. I mean, I was just thinking, you know, beyond just being out there and being on panels, which I think is really more important than, you know, like having a booth. Um, yeah, because the panels it, with what you guys are doing, I'm sure that there are a lot of other people that are just like, what do I need to do to do something like this? What's the what are the things that I need to think about? as I'm going in and either distributing it myself or going through a, a group like monkey brain or just going through submit, I think that information helps the community as well. And we, we're really, you know, even though we do have a fairly closed door in terms of new titles coming in, um, we are whenever possible, very open with advice for anybody, yeah. you know, so we're really good at telling people what they should do. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let me ask. Then, then let me ask you this: digital pricing. You guys mm-hmm. have said we're going to stick at ninety nine cents, and I think that's probably one of the reasons why you sell so much that you do. Because if I'm going to buy a digital comic, something that I'm renting, it's a lot easier that's- for me to buy something or rent something for ninety nine cents than well, and something that you might bucks. not know anything about, mm-hmm. something that you you're taking a risk on. So you take you take a risk on something at ninety nine cents, and if it's not really your cup of tea, you're not really mad about it. Oh yeah, Angry Birds. Yeah. You know, ninety nine yep. cents or yeah. whatever it is. If I don't like it playing it, off it goes. No big deal. Yeah, and it's not like you like dwell on it. You know, like I think that when you like you pay like two ninety nine or three ninety nine for something, like that's 
it's actual money, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that's a part of the, the whole idea is that like, you know, and the goodwill that we've gotten is that like, if you don't like something that we publish, it's not like you're going to bitch about it online. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I really haven't seen too many complaints to be honest. Uh, I haven't either. I'm just kind of, I'm surprised after like Chris Reich writing Superman and all these like mainstream titles. I was like, wow, like what, where's all the bad press? <laughs> <laughs> They're out there. You're just not looking at the right message. Am I not? Oh, yeah. damn. Well, well, speaking of, of new writing duties, uh, Chris, uh, you were working on masks. I think that's finished now, isn't it? Uh, it is for me. I don't think okay. the last one's come out yet, but the, it's the issue seven has come out and issue eight is due out any time now and that, which wraps it up. Well, it, it's a fun, exciting series. I gotta be honest with you. And I'm not just you know, you. sucking up. It's, it's a good, it's a good series. And then, um, one of my other staff members and I, Matthew, were just going on about how we're really excited about what you're going to do with Captain Action. Oh, thank you. What what makes we were trying to have a discussion to figure out what makes Paul Piro's work best. Or, you know, characters like what you have in the masks and what you have with Captain Action, although he's not really pulp, but the older characters, why do they endure? Um, you know, well, you know, j- just to, to put the context I had wanted to work with Dynamite for years because they had the uncanny ability to land all the licenses I wanted to work <laughs> on. And uh, I couldn't quite crack it. And then uh, we were at, at Baltimore Comic-Con a few years ago, and uh, Paul Tobin introduced me to uh, Joe Ryband, mm-hmm. uh, who, who edits there. Who is the, uh, he's the editor. The editor, there. yeah. And uh, I'd had a couple of drinks. And so I think the second thing I said to Joe after introducing myself was, why aren't I already working for you? <laughs> but I think that why those those things, those characters persist, I mean, part of it is nostalgia, I think. Right, right. Um, part of it, but I, I have a deep affinity and nostalgia for characters that first appeared and then disappeared long before I was ever born. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's, Purely nostalgia. Um, you know, I was born in 1970. And so, um, you know, my I, I was on the scene even after Captain Action had disappeared from store shelves. Right. But my early exposure to that character and the concept of it as a kid, I latched onto it. I thought, well, that's a cool thing. I think part of it is look. Part of it is the character's appeal and hook. Um, part of it, I think, is the attempt to find uh, the appropriate milieu for a character. Mm-hmm. I think that um, you can do some interesting stuff by taking characters out of their original setting and doing them in other periods or other geographic locations I, or the cultures. That's but the part I that I have that, the biggest problem with though. Yeah. Well, it's, it's dicey because yeah. the farther you push a character away from his original formulation or her original formulation, the the more risk you run that you'll lose the essential appeal. Right. Um, and so for me, approaching the characters in masks or, you know, now I'm working on the, the Shadow Ongoing series, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> putting those characters in the time and place with which they're best associated and then, then coming up with good story to tell. I, or with, with Captain Action, when they first came to me with the idea, I it took me a while. I, I, it, I were, there were a couple of approaches that I considered and then rejected or that I suggested and they rejected before I finally said, well, look, this toy first appeared in 1966. Mm-hmm. Um, 
set the story in 1966 or, you know, five minutes before that and return the character to the cultural roots from which he sprang, which was the kind of super spy pop culture things. So do a super spy story set in 1965 starring that character and then see what happens. I think it's going to be awesome. <laughs> I'm enjoying it so far. <laughs> the I guess Doc Savage is one that always comes to mind for me because I'm, I'm not the biggest fan, but I would say I'm probably in the top 100 or 1,000. Um, there's a company that's had that property twice now. And each time that they've done it, they've put that character, put Doc Savage in a more modern time setting or in a time setting that has cell phones and modern cars and conveniences. And it just doesn't work. Is there is our characters like the shadow and Doc Savage, you know, are they best suited for pre World War II storytelling? I think I think the shadow is. I think the shadow with his with all the various aspects of the character's formulation, both in terms of his appearance, his his motivation, his his ethos, his his network. He tends to work best in that kind of late depression era setting. Mm -hmm. And when you push him too far out of that, you can get good stories out of it, but you run the risk that it's not really a shadow story. Like mm -hmm. I really enjoyed both as a younger person and as an adult revisiting it, Howard Shakin's Blood and Judgment. Um, but it's less a story – is less a shadow story than it's a story about the shadow that the shadow's in, if that makes sense. Right. No, right. I agree. Um, Doc Savage is one I've thought about a lot. Um, and I think the problem that previous attempts have had is you either do Doc Savage in the 1930s, early 40s, mm -hmm. um, or you have to figure out a way to evolve Doc to work in other historical periods like later historical periods because doc savage as a genius inventor physician philanthropist crime fighter is in itself okay uh that that is transportable but the problem is is that all of these trappings uh the fabulous five and the empire state building and, and zeppelins and mm -hmm. uh, you know roadsters all those things work best in 1933 to about 1949. Right. And if you try to take those aspects of the character and transport them into later eras, it becomes kind of problematic mm -hmm. because then you're like, why am I looking at the adventures of these six white guys? Right. Um, right. Uh, you know, in the Empire State Building, why is that interesting? You know. Um. So yeah, I think I think you could do interesting stuff with Doc Savage in later periods. But you would have to change the kind of th the setting around him to make it make sense. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it'd be an interesting challenge. But I think it's possible. When does uh, Dynamite get a hold of the Doc Savage property? I, I no comment. <laughs> um, I I just I I wish that that character could get a foothold and and really get uh, get some of the success it like we're seeing with the Shadow and with. Uh, with some of the others that uh, Green Hornet that Dynamite's doing right now, certainly the John Carter series or the Deja Thora series now is getting a lot more visibility than it would have 25 years ago. Doc is my absolute favorite. Really? Um, and has been for the last 30 plus years. I need, well, you know, to, 
absolutely nothing about Doc Savage. <laughs> well, you and I should sit down sometime, Chris, and just have a conversation about Doc Savage. Probably, I'd be happy to. In a couple of months, that might be actually shh. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm going to mark it down. <laughs> Two months, three months from now, just a non, no reason. Just let's have let's have a discussion about Doc Savage and what no makes him work. No reason at all. <laughs> that sounds like a fine idea. Okay, cool. Um, let's see. Before we go, anything else that's going on with you guys that's really exciting? Oh, um, the first two issues of The Mysterious Strangers, which is the new title that I'm doing with uh, Scott Kowalchuk at mm-hmm. Oni. Mm-hmm. Uh, the retail editions come out in July. Okay. Uh, the first issue, which was then called simply The Strangers, before we retitled it, to avoid confusion with another title that was already happening in the European Union, um, was a free comic book day offering last month. Um, and issue one is currently available for download for free on Comixology. Excellent. Um, but uh, The Mysterious Strangers is 60s super spies with superpowers fighting supernatural menaces. Um, Downloading it now. It's it's uh, a ridiculous amount of fun for me to make. Um, so if you are a fan in any way of things like the Avengers or uh, the Prisoner or Man from Uncle or um, any '60s super spy comics of any kind, uh, you might find something appealing in it. Excellent. And then uh, over on Twitter. What is it that you guys do? The drunk tweeting of the movies that you're watching? Uh, yes. Uh, we uh, irregularly drunk tweet movies, usually a Friday or Saturday night. The last one was, I won't say a crashing failure because we've had worse. <laughs> oh my God. But it was a horrible movie. It was it was too bad to even make fun of. Oh, really? Um, it wasn't a bit. Yeah. So we've got another one lined up probably for sometime in the next few weeks. Do you guys only do bad movies or do you do everything? You have to do yeah. bad movies with drunk tweets because, like, you can't make fun of good movies because then you just want to watch them. Well, you can't even comment on good movies. Yeah. Uh, like, let me let me make some suggestions then that I have seen recently that are terrible. Okay. Uh, the fabulous Burt Wonderstone. If you haven't already done that one. No. No. Nope. Not very good. Um, okay. What's the other one that I just watched the other day? Uh, there's one called Branded. I don't know if you guys have seen this one, but it's mm-hmm. a um, it's a Russian film. Originally, as it was portrayed, everyone thought it was kind of a remake of, um, oh, now I forget, They Live. Okay. But okay. it's totally not that from the advertising. <laughs> the advertising made it said, oh, this is going to be a remake of the, They Live, and it's just a uh, commentary on commercialism. Okay. So okay. Uh, you guys might have some fun with those. Yeah, we've, we've had, we've, you know, we've been doing it now for several years. Um, <clears throat> we used to do it more, much more frequently, and we're finally getting back in the saddle again. But we must have done this now a few dozen times. Mm-hmm. And um, so we've knocked off all of the uh, the low-hanging fruit, as it were. Uh-huh. Um, and we've had to go pretty far afield. So I think the last one we did was uh, only available on YouTube oh, in boy. a pirated version. And there's a reason for that, because it's a horrible movie. And mm-hmm. I suspect the next one we do will probably be Miami Connection, which just showed up on Netflix, yeah. which is kind of a lost B movie, the '80s, which has been re-released by uh, Draft House Films. Who, who's in that one? Nobody. 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 Okay. The name sounds, <laughs> for whatever reason, the name sounds familiar, and I was like, maybe I saw that on one of my cheap 
VHS rental nights as a kid. It might have been a VHS rental. Um, I, I'm always pushing for us to circle back around and redo ones that I kind of enjoyed. But Allison's always kind of dicey about that. <laughs> well, it, we might have to do the, the Star Wars Christmas special again this year. No, we've already done that. It's been a few years, it's though. It's just really not very good. It's not Come good on. at all. Be Arthur singing is something I know. that will be burned into your brain forever. Well, no, like, we've done, we've, we, I remember like, God, what year was that that we watched it just to watch it? Oh, that was a long time ago. That was like in the 90s. That was 97, 98, was it? Oh, yeah, definitely have to do it now. No, but we, we did it. We did the drunk tweet of it, like, I guess last year. Oh, 2011 okay. or so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, now you can do uh, Instagram and Vine uh, 12 second bits on it. There you go. I usually, I, I have been like, cause we usually have people come over and drunk tweet with us. Um, and I usually try to vine cause like, it's so funny. Like the room is like always way more funny than <laughs> the Twitter. Yeah. And so I try to like try to capture that. It's really hard to do in six seconds, but. And, uh, your kids, kid thinks you're just both crazy or is she well, in she, the same vein as you guys are? She's asleep by the time we're, we're doing that. We've explained it to her, and she's a little confused as to why we want to watch bad movies. <laughs> um, and she expresses no interest in watching bad movies whatsoever. Well, so. good. You're training her right then. Yeah. All right, guys. Thank you so much. And uh, here's to another great year of uh, Monkey Brain Comics. Well, thanks very much. Thank you, guys. I want to thank Chris and Allison again for being a part of the Major Spoilers podcast this week. You can tell they've got a lot of energy. You can tell that they've got a lot of passion. And passion is what's really driving, I think, Monkey Brain Comics right now. And it's it's been doing a wonderful job. And you should go check them out. You can find them on Comixology. You can go over to monkeybraincomics.com. That's where their website is. But if you're looking for some good digital comics, you can find them right there at Comixology under the Monkey Brain Comics publisher banner. If you want to hear more shows like conversations with major spoilers let us know head over to the website use the link in the show notes use the comment section tell us if you like this if you didn't like it tell me if you want to hear more in the future go over to itunes uh, share some star rating reviews go into the forums get talking get us uh, talking on on twitter again you can follow me at major spoilers on twitter we really want to thank everybody who makes this show possible all of you who have become some of you want to do more than $10 a month recurring donations. You know what? Thank you. Thank you so much. It means a lot to me, and I know it means a lot to everybody else at Major Spoilers, whether that be Matthew Peterson or Rodrigo Lopez or Young Zach or Rob or D&D Brian or Skrull Brian, um, you know, Sam and Chris and uh, Nicole and everybody who writes for the site. We've got so many right now. They all do a wonderful job. Kevin... Um, you know, we, we really appreciate what you guys do from the bottom of my heart. I want to, I want to say thank you. Um, I think that's probably where we should probably wrap it up. Use the comment section, please give us some feedback. If you want to hear more of this, this is something that can, can be possible, uh, and free as we move forward. When we hit our funding goal, there's so many things that we can do and we can do that with your help. Have a great weekend and, um, we will talk with you soon. When you drive the brand ranked number one in dependability by J.D. Power, you can stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see yourself behind the wheel of the brand ranked number one in dependability by J.D. Power. Kia. 
Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Kia received the fewest reported problems among all brands in the J.D. Power 2022 U.S. Vehicle Dependability Study based on 2019 models. See JDPower.com slash awards for 2022 details.